Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Batteries Included podcast. I'm Dominic Yoni, and my co-hosts today are Francie from the Out of Spec podcast and Todd Malogny, senior editor at Inside EVs and host of the YouTube channel State of Charge. On today's show, we are pleased to be joined by Desmond Wheatley, CEO of Beam Global. Welcome, everybody. It's great to Hello. have you, Desmond. Thanks for joining us. <coughs> oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. <coughs> Thanks for putting so, this together, Dominic. I'm excited to speak with Desmond and everyone about Beam. Yeah, same here. So, all right, Gleam Global, Gleam or Beam, sorry, <laughs> Beam Global was uh, founded originally in 2006, and for the most time of that time, it's been known as Envision Solar. I believe I, I first wrote about the company back in 2008 uh, when it placed a solar installation on the roof of a parking structure at the University of California at San Diego. But the, the company has really blossomed, though, since that time. So maybe start us out by giving us an overview of what Beam Global does today. I understand you have a number of different verticals and have been acquiring companies to grow your capabilities. Yeah, that's right, uh, Dominic. Um, and and actually, in many ways, that that installation at uh, UCSD um, was quite formative in our decision to take the new direction uh, that that we've been pursuing since, uh, frankly, since sort of 2011. Uh, originally, uh, the company was set up, as you pointed out, to do these kind of bespoke installations of solar uh, canopies above parking environments, which at the time, by the way, was a very novel idea. Hardly anybody was doing it. Uh, however, there were two things that, that, about it which I did not uh, want to take forward when I took the company over in, in, the, in 2011. And the first of those was that it was becoming highly commoditized. Uh, lots and lots of companies out there were starting to look at doing solar canopies. Anyone who was in the roofing business or electrical contracting or whatever else who was short of things to do was like, okay, let's throw up solar canopies over parking lots. And by the way, which is, a, I, I fully support that. I think it's a great use of, uh, of uh, the par parking environment. Uh, but the other side of it that was really hard to deal with was uh, the just all of the stuff that's inherent with doing a construction project any type of construction project you're talking about permitting zoning uh, you know you're talking about multiple different disciplines you're prone to weather you're prone to all sorts of uh, different uh, uh, you know output or, or inputs rather which are completely out of your control and when i was looking at the electric vehicle charging landscape at that time just doing some simple arithmetic uh, in the united states 290 million vehicles all of them are going to be electric in the next couple of decades just think of how much charging you're going to need uh, to support that we had 130 years to put all the gas stations in the ground. We're going to have a couple of decades at best to put all the charging infrastructure, make it available to drivers. And it was pretty clear to me back then that if we were going to continue to go through lengthy construction processes um, uh, with all of the different things that can hold them up, that we were not going to meet our goals in terms of the massive amount of charging that would need to be deployed. That will certainly still play a big role, uh, but we needed something far faster deployed than that. With that, we came up with a new suite of products which are deployed rapidly without construction, without any electrical work. You, you don't have to go through any kind of a permitting process. There's no site disruption whatsoever. Uh, you never get a utility bill. And then also, very importantly, we continue to charge vehicles during blackouts and brownouts uh, while adding capacity to the grid, but without having to build power stations and transmission and distribution infrastructure. So that was the real direction shift uh, between what the company was originally doing. We rebranded uh, four or five years ago to Beam Global because uh, the, the name we feel is much more descriptive of everything that we're trying to get done rather than just the very narrow solar part of the, the business that we had originally been involved in. Now we use any renewable uh, source to, to provide power for our products. Very interesting. 
So, so Francie, do you have a question to kick us off with? Yeah, sure. I was a little bit interested about you, Desmond, because in the EV space, as you described, there's a lot of ways that we're going about charging and there's a lot of pressures on the grid. So trying to navigate that, whether it's through, you know, solar energy or battery energy storage solutions or connecting directly to the grid, what led you to join uh, what is now Beam Global's team to become CEO and how kind of did your path lead you here? Because, it, you know, I would assume that you think they had something really good going for them and that you wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, so I'm 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 delighted uh, and confident to report that I am the least interesting aspect of the Beam Global story. And so we can get me out of the way quickly in the beginning. However, how I got involved perhaps is 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 a bit more interesting. Um, I I had actually been in the Middle East uh, for for uh, uh, many years. Um, uh, and you know, if you've spent time in the Middle East, one way or another, you're involved in the energy uh, business, um, and 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 frankly, not in ways that I'm thrilled about or proud of. Uh, in 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 hindsight, um, when I came back to the U.S., I was uh, invited by some of the people who were involved in the in sort of investment around Envision Solar at the time to come and help them uh, with the company uh, as we as we considered a, a public uh, company platform. Um, it, it, I think really the, the most interesting part of, of that was this transition from the idea of providing just, uh, you know, solar power, which again, uh, not to diminish it in any way, it's very important, uh, but the, the idea of moving to this clean mobility for all, basically, uh, I, I thought that there was going to be a huge opportunity where the electrification of transportation is concerned. One of my many failings in life is I tend to be a little too enthusiastic about how quickly uh, technology will take off, but I'm much less frequently wrong about it. I just... Uh, a little too early to the party, if you like. Now I've got great seats at that party because we're definitely way ahead of anybody else in terms of doing what we're doing. But the key thing was it was about pace. Uh, it was about capacity and about pace. The the, the global, or the, well, actually the global grid, but particularly the US grid, magnificent as it is, and it is magnificent, was never designed to replace oil as transportation fuel. And if you just look at the pure joules of energy which are required for transportation and compare them to the joules of energy which are produced by the grid, you will quickly ascertain that there isn't enough energy on the grid to provide for the electrification of transportation uh, by any measure. Um, and so... Uh, we needed other solutions, right? This is going to. This is a massive opportunity. We're going to have to have a lot of different things uh, to address that 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 delta, if you like. Um, and then we're going to need things that are rapidly deployed as well. So this is the area where we really focus on: was how do we add capacity, but without going through centralized infrastructure, and how do we do it in a really scalable uh, and 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 rapidly uh, growing way? Again, not not to displace or replace the grid at all, but to just add all the extra stuff that we're definitely going to need to make a success. Of this so tom you have a question you're, you're you're muted still it's okay sorry about that hey desmond thanks for coming on uh so pleasure tom. we get into um really what you're doing now i have a question about the past um so beam i remember beam charging is it the same company as beam like charging you, you they used to install level two charging in like parking garages and decks or is it a different company entirely no, I, I'm afraid. So look, I'll tell you why we like the name Beam so much. Beam of sunshine, beam of energy, the structural beam like a girder. You know, it's a single monosyllabic name that that has carries a lot of root, but it also allows us to do a lot of other stuff. We're we're really focusing on that intersection of clean energy and transportation. And you're going to see us playing in a lot of different areas. Some of the acquisitions that I've made will would lead you to that. Um, but but the truth is it's a great name, it's a great word, and others have used it. And it is 
is true that previously there was a company called Beam who was providing uh, charging in a, in a fairly small way a few years ago. And in fact, I think they were acquired, um, but no, not, not, not the same company. Okay, cool. I was just, just curious because I, I actually had a lot of experience with them. This Beam charging network was like the first public charging network in New York City. I live near New York City and they were on all the parking garages. But quite honestly, the, 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 the charges rarely worked. Half the times I showed up, they were decommissioned. And I remember one time I even tweeted about how poor it was. And the CEO, the current CEO at the company, emailed me to like apologize and say we're working on improving it so i'm glad that you're you're not um that company continue to grow because i could tell you my experience dealing with beam charging was miserable um but okay we'll put that to the side i'm glad that 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 you're not the same company <laughs> hey tom, tom, hey tom can i just i'm certainly not here to defend the uh, the, the, the uh, any other beams or anything else like that but i do want to just say this just in general for the broader audience stuff uh, because we're hearing about this a lot right i mean it wasn't just them we're, we, we've heard about a lot of there's been a lot of stuff in the press about lack of reliability of EV chargers and that kind of stuff. And it's a it's a real thing and it needs to be addressed. But I do enjoy reminding people that this is an industry very much in its infancy. Uh, the hardware is brand new. The software is brand new. The service provision behind it. It's difficult to to, to, to do a massive infrastructure rollout in, in the you know, look at this massive country that we're dealing with here. You've got the frozen areas. You've got terribly hot areas. You've got hurricane prone areas and all that sort of stuff. Somehow we've got to deploy infrastructure that solves for, for everybody everywhere. And again, to go back to the gas station model, if you think about it, 130 years ago, people used to drive around with big jugs on the back of their vehicles and they would go to farms and places and try and beg, borrow and steal uh, gasoline. So the, the EV charting industry, they're, they're getting a lot of flack right now. And I'm a driver. I have been, I'm an early adopter. I've been doing it for 12, 13 years now. I've been through all of the things that you're describing and I get it. It's frustrating. But I would just say, hey, in, in pretty incredible considering how young it is. Uh, the the level of success that's going on and it's getting better every single uh, day. So I'm, I'm just a shout out for the industry and 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 uh, help people understand how very very difficult it is to do this. And actually, it's really impressive how how well particularly American companies have done. So uh, and and that's a good shout out for the industry. And now I'll shout out for the EV drivers. We don't care that it's hard. <laughs> I know. We don't care about your problems. I know. We want to pull up to the charging station plug in and get energy. So yeah. our answer back to that is just make it happen. And if yes. there's unreliability, have have a good, uh, robust service system that is out there checking. And I'm not beating you up. I'm not saying, you know, no, your, no. your equipment. I'm just saying the industry in general, I think the companies, and I understand that equipment is new. This is all new technology, but the existing companies have failed miserably in maintaining it in rolling trucks when a charger's down, in being responsive when people, um, you know, post on, on their site, you know, this charger's not working. So um, I get it. And you're right. It is hard. And I've interviewed people from all the major infrastructure companies. I've talked to their engineers. I know the challenges, but I don't think the companies have um, done enough to try to keep the charger the chargers working i think they're more focused on a land grab on getting units in the ground as fast as possible and not keeping the existing stations functioning so we could put that to the side for now but um i get your point it is hard i understand it but tell that to the guy and his family when he's on a road trip and he's got a kid sleeping in the back and he pulls up at 11 o'clock at night to a charger and he can't get juice and he can't make the next one 
So I, you know, I am that guy. Yeah. I am that guy. So yes, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I know how very, very important it is that okay. we solve for this, without a so, doubt. So, so now I have a quick question for you because that was just my my that was the first thing about are you the same beam? Yeah. Um, what do you say to the people that talk about how solar electric, let's say, like the the, the solar panels, it it's not efficient enough. It doesn't produce enough energy to actually be used. Um, uh, you know, those like deployable. Um, portable stations that you have, they only have enough solar uh, panels to maybe charge one EV a day. Um, right. You know, uh, how, do you, how do you get over the fact that there's, you need a tremendous amount of, of panels to produce enough energy to charge multiple uh, electric vehicles? Well, it's a great, that's a great question. And it's, as you can no doubt imagine, it's one that we, we come up against quite a lot. And actually, the answer to it is much deeper than just a technology uh, answer. And it goes back to the, the previous uh, thing that we were talking about. Uh, I, I think, you know, if I'm going to be critical of the industry, I think there's lots of things that are wrong with the industry. Uh, and one of the things that I like least about the EV charging industry is that charging is typically deployed where there is circuit availability. And that's perfectly appropriate, right? You're, you're running a charging company, you've got a spreadsheet that's got, you're trying to keep the cost on one side down as low as possible. You're trying to get the revenue as high as you can on the other side. So one of the ways that you control costs is you don't dig long trenches and go through big construction projects to deploy EV charting. This is why you, Tom, me, Desmond, and no doubt the others on the, this call, if you drive electric vehicles as well, have had to become used to charging next to the dumpsters behind a Safeway in some shopping mall, because that's where the input, that's where the, the circuit comes onto property. And so it makes sense to put the charge there. I think that that's terribly inadequate approach to the to the industry. We've got to be putting charging. It doesn't just need to be reliable, as you said, Tom, but it also needs to be where people want it, not where the grid is is easily accessible. And I can tell you that I, I in my international travels, I've seen some really appalling examples of this. I mean, there have been plenty of locations I've been to globally where, for example, there are EV chargers in pedestrian precincts. Why? Because there was a circuit available there and the company that was hard to do it was just told, put them wherever you can because we need to get X hundreds in there. I've seen EV chargers on the other side of brick walls for the same reasons. Now, our products, when we developed our products, we very specifically started at completely the opposite end of the spectrum. I can remember the first ever meeting we had where we were at the whiteboard and we were saying, what's important about where EV charging's uh, positioned? Everyone's going to say where the grid is, but actually that's not the right answer. The right answer is you put EV charging where consumers want it, where they're going to use it the most. And then the next thing we need to understand is what do consumers actually do? What, what kind of charging do they really need? And this comes to your, to your question about uh, the capacity on these units. What we discovered, I'm gonna give you three statistics. Uh, these are not mine. These are Department of Transportation numbers. The first one is that the average US sedan drives 30.4 miles per day, 30.4 miles per day. Uh, by the way, Americans drive about 37 miles per day, but the average sedan drives 30.4. So presumably they're doing some of it in taxis or something. I, I don't know. Okay, so 30.4 miles per day. The next one that's really useful uh, metric is eight out of 10, not the average, 80% of commuters require less than 24 miles for their round trip commute. And then the last one I'll give you, which is really important to us because we do so much fleet work, is that most fleet vehicles globally, by the way, drive between 20 and 30 miles per day. Some of the larger federal fleets drive less than 10 miles per day in this country, for example. Now, once you understand that, then we start looking at what we refer to as DRR or daily range replenishment. 
We are not interested at all in the empty full scenario, except when we're doing DC fast charging on a highway corridor or somewhere like that. In every other instance, we're interested in what we call DRR, daily range replenishment. And this comes because, uh, and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing, but as an EV driver now for 13 or 14 years, which I, yeah, 14 years I am now, um, what I very quickly discovered was this idea of going somewhere when I'm empty and waiting around until I fill up is a very gas station model. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't care how fast DC fast charging is. I don't want to go somewhere special and wait around until my vehicles pull up, even if it happens in three to five minutes. I used to do that at a gas station and I hated it. Much more interesting to me and much more convenient in my life is DRR, daily range replenishment, where I refuel my vehicle where I was already going. Now, in my case, there's I have a luxury of being able to do that at home or, or at work. But the fact is, once you understand this 30.4 miles per day uh, number or the other numbers that I gave you, and then you realize that our units will generate and store enough electricity to provide up to 265 driving miles in a day, you can very quickly see that we can provide DRR to multiple fleet vehicles, to multiple American sedans, or or to multiple uh, workplace charging type environments where we're dealing with these 24 mile a day commuters. And that's what's really interesting about this. It's not about filling up empty Teslas, although we get that question a lot. My answer is, I don't care. And it's not that I don't care about you Tesla drivers. It's just that we never see you empty and we never have to fill you up to full. What we see you doing is putting 20 or 30 miles in your car. Our product does that quite happily in an hour and a half or so and does it multiple times every day. And that is solving the problem. Perfect is the enemy of good. What we're interested in solving the problem, getting to that reliability that you were talking about and having charging be ubiquitous so that this range anxiety thing's gone. Your vehicle's always full because when you go to the store, average dwell time in a US supermarket, 47 minutes. In that time, you can pick up half your DRR on one of our units, make one more stop, and you're on your way to do it. And if you'll permit, uh, permit me, I'll give you a, a brief, what I think is amusing anecdote. Uh, we're, a, we're a publicly traded company, um, and so I spent a lot of time dealing with Wall Street bankers, and I was explaining DRR to a Wall Street banker the other day. Now, this is a drill baby drill guy. He, he thinks that, that electric vehicles are going to destroy the planet in his strange warped way of looking at things. But anyway, he said he started shouting at me and saying, are you telling me I need to go to the store to fill my car up in future? And I said, do you go to the store anyway? And he said, yes. And I said, well, then I'm not telling you you need to go there to fuel your car. I'm just saying that while you're there, you could fuel your car. Wouldn't that be a lot better than going to a gas station afterwards? So DRR is the answer, and we can do an awful lot of it with our products. So I just put up this picture on the screen here, and I think that's displaying right. So this, I believe, is the EV Arc. Is that right? Yes, EV Arc, a, a not very helpful acronym, Electric Vehicle Autonomous Renewable Charger. And of course, underline the word there, autonomous. Okay. So is this the main product of your company? Without a doubt. This is where the great majority of our revenues are, are derived, uh, better than 50% of it from fleet and the other 50% corporate type deployments. Okay, so and these can be installed quickly, as you're saying. With there's no so there's no grid connection with these. Uh, so there's, there's battery storage, I take it. Yeah. So just quickly on the on the speed of deployment, let me give you a couple of numbers there as well. New York City, our largest municipal customer, Tom, you're in that neighborhood. Uh, it takes an average of two years to go through the process of planning, permitting, engineering, construction, electrical work, and everything else like that to put a grid tied charger in in in, in a spot. That's a that's that's where, as I said earlier, we're going to lose the war if we if we carry on with siege mentality like that. To that two year process, we do in under one hour. Okay, that's the differentiator. 
And yes, that's because we don't connect to the grid and because it's hard to see in this photograph here, but if you look at those units, they're on a kind of a light gray, uh, uh, there's something light gray underneath them. Right. This is a this is a, the engineered ballast and traction pad and it's what I un, un, unkindly refer to as the dumbest and the smartest part of the invention because that is a major part of our patent. And it's that base, that engineered ballast and traction pad. It's not flat, it's got a camber in it um, okay. and it's highly, it's highly engineered. And it's giving that unit stability uh, so that it can withstand we have an independent stamp for 160 mile per hour winds but have in fact survived hurricane force uh, category 585 mile an hour winds it's flood proof to nine feet uh, th there's just no other piece of electrical infrastructure out there that you can say that about and we will survive those anything over nine feet we got bigger things to worry about but right. uh, we'll we continue to operate and yes that base pad is what's giving that stability so we don't have to do any site preparation no uh -huh. foundation work no gluing no bolting nothing we just bring it in drop it off drive away and it's ready to operate ready to charge a car unlike children's presents at christmas time we deliver with full batteries all right and batteries included so how many batteries are included in each of these like how, how generally much generally around 40 kilowatt hours um and so the product's very very it's, it's heavily engineered by people who are much cleverer than i am to balance generation load and storage and that is a constant cycle by the way it's a it's an ever the, the the system's intelligent enough to charge entirely from batteries obviously at nighttime when there is no sun uh, entirely from solar when we've got pure solar and then sometimes a combination of solar and and and, and battery uh, all of those things are feeding into that charter and by the way one other thing it's also grid connectable so we can put power onto the grid or take okay. power off the grid if that suits our customers it just doesn't need to right okay that's that's handy uh one other question about just about the product real quick for me sorry guys uh i was just curious about how much energy the uh, solar panels feed into the uh, system on, it's on about, a good day it's about a four and a half kilowatt array, uh, and it has our proprietary and patented tracking solution, which gives us about 25% more electricity than a fixed array. How do we know? Uh, we've tested it. It's really simple. We just orient them south facing, turn the tracking off, see how it performs, and then turn the tracking back on. And it's about 25% more uh, when it's sunny, as we said. Tracking clouds right. doesn't get you anything, right. but uh, when it's sunny, uh, you, you, we get that extra. Now, of course, 25% more electricity means 25% more miles driven by the vehicles that we're fueling. And so that's why it's so important to us. Hmm, interesting. Definitely. Okay. And um, so, Beam, uh, they you all manufacture the solar panels and the whole setup, really, the whole arc there. But then the chargers that are actually used, the EVSEs, is you, it seems like the customer can kind of choose which ones are in the unit, right? Do, but do you manufacture EVSEs or you always partner with like ChargePoint or whoever? This very much again goes back to Tom's opening uh, comments. Tom, I feel in a way you sort of carpeted the, the route here for almost everything that we're going to talk about. Uh, you're absolutely right. We do not make an EV charger, nor do we offer e-charging services. And that was a very deliberate uh, election on my part uh, when I was uh, growing the company because I had no idea who was going to do well and who was going to do poorly in that space. I didn't know which business model was going to float to the surface. I didn't know whose hardware was going to do well or else. However, what do all EV charging companies have in common? They all need a mounting asset and a source of electricity. So what I did is I decided to focus all of our efforts on producing something that all EV charging companies would need regardless of their business model or technology. And by, by the way, that goes down to when we, when we move, as 
I hope we do, to wireless charging. We're patent pending now on a wireless EV arc, uh, so you don't even need to plug the vehicle in, uh, which is another thing I'd like to see the end of, and I'm sure consumers will demand it uh, down the road. But again, we don't care about that. We, what we care about is providing a source of electricity without having to do construction work, without getting a utility bill, and without being prone to blackouts or brownouts or vulnerable to them, which is, by the way, uh, an undervalued vulnerability, in my opinion. That's a that's a uh, that's going to be the next big thing that we're all going to have to really start thinking about. Mm -hmm. And go ahead, Tom. So two quick questions. How do customers pay to use the stations? And um, is there like a limit on what somebody can use? Because, you know, I know you talked about the daily, you know, recharging limits or how, how, how much each vehicle. And if everybody was kind enough to share and just use enough to get them home, that that's one thing. But I can see the people pulling up and just emptying your battery, just just sitting in there to, and, and, and drawing it. To, is that is that allowed? Uh, you know, and how do they pay for it? Not only is it allowed, but it does happen, Tom. You're quite right. Uh, we, we, we do get that. Uh, actually, so I'll give you a couple of scenarios which are sort of most frustrating for us, if you like. But, but I want to answer your question first. The, your question about how do people pay for it is entirely in the hands of our customers. Uh, we, we have no dog in that fight. Uh, so what ends up happening, uh, basically customers come to us and they, they fill a couple of different buckets. Some customers come to us and they already know what charging network they want to be on and what kind of EV charging they want to offer. Uh, uh, Francie, you mentioned ChargePoint. We do a lot of ChargePoint. Uh, we do Blink, we do Nell, we do Electrify America, we do all of them. Um, so somebody, a ChargePoint customer will come to us and say, hey, I've got X number of ChargePoint chargers. I need you to add another 50 of them or something like that. We'll say, okay, we'll put two ChargePoint chargers per, per unit and we, we, we can ship those things out. Now that customer at that time is going to decide whether they bill for it, whether they put access control on it, whatever else they want to do. It's entirely in their hands, uh, not in ours at all. And similarly, Tom, that customer might also uh, uh, elect to limit the amount of charge that they provide. So for example, in workplace charging, uh, we think it's absolutely appropriate and sensible even to limit what people can bring in. Most employers are not trying to replace their employees' entire fuel bill. They're right. just trying to make it possible to commute to and from the office. That seems very reasonable to me. And so one of the easiest ways by far to do that is just to, just to limit the amount of time you can be uh, plug, plugged in and charging. Uh, we, it's an easy technology thing for us to do. We can either do it with a smart charger or we can just make the EV arc uh, stop charging after two hours, for example, at which point they've received their entire daily range replenishment. We feel that that's more than reasonable. So do our, our customers customers often. But to your point about do people just show up and exhaust the things, um, this is, you'll hear this over and over again, and it's absolutely true. Most things in life are really not technology problems. They're mostly behavior problems, right? You're, you're trying to solve for behavior. And when you're talking about consumers, shifting consumer behavior is very, very difficult, particularly when they've been trained to do something for, for their entire lives and for, for several generations, in fact. We have all been trained to go as infrequently as possible to go to the gas station. Why? Because it's a horrible experience, right? They, they put con what they call convenience stores in a gas station. What they mean is inconvenienced. You have been inconvenienced by coming here, so why don't you come in and buy some some more poison to put inside your body while you put some poison in your in your tank? And I'm I'm probably going to get sued for all these comments, but nevertheless, there's nothing convenient at all about going to the gas station. But people have become so used to it that they actually do view it as convenient. They, you know, there's gas stations everywhere. There's one on every corner, you know, so it's really convenient. We don't think so. We think that's an, an incredibly inconvenient uh, way of behaving. And we, what we really think that the, the right way to address this is to have ubiquitous charting, as I say, where you can do your DRR everywhere. But some of our customers have become so used to this that even when we tell them, hey, plug that car in every day, 
Uh, and frankly, the, the, the auto manufacturers not helping us with this either, where they're selling these cars with uh, that have you know range that's much greater than people's DRR requirements, and they're saying, hey, you don't need to plug it in, but once every ten days or something, as though that's a benefit. Terrible thing to do, uh, but that we do end up with customers like that. So they'll bring a Chevy Bolt, for example, got 260 mile range, 60 kilowatt hour battery, and they'll plug it in from empty and fill it up, and then they got another one right behind it. That's not a useful way for using our product. If they'd have just plugged it in every day they'd have always had all the range that they needed for multiple vehicles. So we do have that, but it's more about education than anything else that we're, that we're having to sort out. So, so are these chargers uh, generally AC chargers, level two? Uh, you know, yes. And so I said that earlier on that we would never get into the charger business. Um, I, I, at the same time, uh, there, there are lots of opportunities for improvement around here. And, and again, going back to Tom's points, but but I'll give you one other one. Um, at the moment, we take sunlight and convert it into DC electricity. We then store that DC electricity in batteries. We then convert that DC electricity into AC to run a level two charger or a DC fast charger. I'll come back to that in a second. Mm -hmm. That when it's a level two charger, that vehicle then goes into the that electricity, that AC then goes into the vehicle where it's then converted back to DC. In the case of a so-called DC fast charger, they're anything but, you're actually putting AC into them. It's then converting it into DC, and there's a lot of heat and everything generated and noise and stuff, and then that goes into the vehicle. All of this is very, very wasteful. Uh, an all-DC route would make a lot more sense, but of course, no one's going to make an all-DC charger because they, we live in an AC world. You've got to plug them in. Uh, to that. Don't be surprised to see Beam uh, at some point in the future having an all-DC route, but I still think it's unlikely that we'd be in the charging business when we did that. We we just make that available to all the other wonderful companies out there who are putting the back ends together and all that sort of stuff. Okay. Speaking so, of what you're, oh, do you have something? I'll let you go, Dom. But well, I'm I curious just, about the other part of Beam and your recent uh, acquisition of the all cell batteries. Right. So in terms of yeah. you were saying offering, you know, you might offer DC fast charging one day, who knows, um, or DC charging. Then, um, I, yeah, I was curious about one that that acquisition acquisition in general, but also um, the, why you would choose to do that, and also where the value proposition comes in for what you're doing. And also, it seems to be very customizable from what I could tell from your website, which I thought was interesting too. So I would love to get some insight into what Beam is doing in that, because that's a whole nother project to take on from what you're doing. Yes. So uh, lots of lots of answers to that question. Um, again, just let's start at the high level here. Intersection, nexus of clean energy and transportation, you're going to see us playing there. Uh, at the moment, mostly what we're doing is renewably energized, rapidly deployed EV charting infrastructure. But th this is merely the first step on a ladder, which is so tall, I can't see the top of it. I mean, it, it, it's a, it, you know, this is a massive, everything will be electric. And that's a really good news thing for the planet, for the economy, for geopolit geopolitics. Again, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. I, I, I know the real value of a barrel of oil, mm. and, and it's not measured in dollars. Uh, 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 so there's a lot of reasons to th that it's great that everything's going to become electric. Not just electric, though, but increasingly untethered. If you think about most of the electrical appliances we used to plug in and drag extension cords around and all that sort of stuff, most of those now are untethered. Why? Because of battery technology. I, I made that acquisition. Uh, largely largely because i was concerned about supply chain at the time when i when i made it which is as if, uh, i made the acquisition in 2020 i think in the third quarter of 2021 it started to look like we might run out of batteries for our products uh, into 2020 2021 now as a publicly traded company going to wall street and saying hey we're doing great but we're not selling anything because we can't buy any batteries it's not a very good excuse you don't get very far with that right so i acquired that company largely to defend our supply chain i'd been using their technology for 10 years we knew how 
how reliable it was. We knew how well it worked. All the all the technology due diligence was behind us. It's just a matter of whether or not we could come to an arrangement with the seller, which we we did. I also did it for margin recapture. Uh, you know, we were we had been consuming other people's batteries for a long time. Batteries are about thirty percent of the cost of our product. You can imagine the 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 margin impact there for us. But actually, the real the sort of longer term, less prosaic. Uh, less immediate benefits were that I love the space. I happen to believe, and again, brief anecdote, I was in Germany uh, uh, several months ago, uh, well, actually several months before I made the acquisition, and uh, late at night, went to the hotel bar to get some dinner, which is not something I like to do, but I had no other choices at the time. And I ordered from a human being, but a robot brought me my bloody dinner. I was sitting at my table and a robot came up with my dinner on it. And that sounds kind of kitschy, but I tell you what, I looked at that thing and I thought, behold the future. Uh, You're going to see robotic devices in every walk of life doing all sorts of menial tasks that human beings don't want to do anymore. That's a great thing if we can figure out the the, the economy around that. Um, And every one of them has something in common. They've got batteries inside them, Mm -hmm. and those batteries need to be safely and rapidly recharged. And the technology that I bought, this this thermal management, uh, uh, passive thermal management was what enables exactly that sort of thing. And I just love it. Robots, whether they're in the air, underwater, or in your house, or wherever else, we're putting batteries into all of those things. Uh, and I, that's just, I, I love that business across the board. So we're growing both sides of it. Internally, uh, producing a lot more batteries for ourselves. We're producing 10 times more kilowatt hours of batteries today than we were the month before I acquired that company. Um, and the, the demand has gone up, our own internal demand, but also we're selling to all these other one, medical devices, uh, robots and all sorts of other things, as I say. So I love that business. And then the other acquisition we just made is in Europe for a completely different reason, but I'll get to that if you want to ask me about it. Uh, okay, let's ask you about that. What is about that? What is, I started to see that acquisition. You have a video, I believe, on the website uh, about about the live stream from from that event. So, what 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 kind of company was that? Yeah, so um, the, we're we are not as yet in in Europe, or we were not as yet in Europe. And uh, I've been looking for international expansion for some time because our products don't care where they are in the world if they can see the sky or get some wind on them or whatever. We we're, we're we we don't care about anything else. That's another great benefit of not connecting to the local infrastructure. Um, Europe is far and away a larger market than the United States for for electrification of transportation. I mean, the U.S. has 290 million vehicles uh, in it. Europe has about 405 million. China, 319 million. So it's the biggest market by far. Europeans are very aggressive about electrifying transportation. They've passed a law outlawing the sale of all but zero emission vehicles in 2035. California's, of course, followed suit, and so have dozens of other, well, not dozens, I exaggerate, but about a dozen other states are following suit. Um, so that's a that's a great news thing for us. They're also very very uh, keen on uh, getting to net zero where energy infrastructure is concerned. In fact, they have a commitment for net zero by 2050. It's more complicated to dig up the streets uh, and dig trenches in Europe. Where I come from in Edinburgh, um, uh, it, you dig down six inches, you've gone back 300 years in history. You never know what you're going to hit. You know, it's not like uh, uh, being out here in California. Um, and then finally, actually, Mr. Putin uh, has made it a more compelling market for us as well because the Europeans are now feeling less secure about their electrical infrastructure than at any time in their history. And again, our products are rapidly deployed, scale up, and don't rely on the grid. So we're giving them energy security and everything else uh, while we're at it. By the way, I'm not a supporter of what Mr. Putin has done, but uh, uh, if it helps our business, I suppose that's one tiny, tiny silver lining to a horribly large, dark cloud. 
So I, I had to giggle there. You said Mr. Putin. I thought you were talking about Justin Trudeau for a moment because of the land of Putin. It's a food thing. It's a French rice oh. covered in gravy. It's Canadian. Anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. no, I'm talking about the one that, that, that runs Russia. <laughs> right, right. Big difference. Right. All right. Uh, so I think we're kind of right up against our time. Um, man, there's so much more to kind of like to talk about, but... Uh, where can John, before we go if we are sure. leaving i have to at least ask one question desmond you have to give us some kind of a price range or what do the arcs cost sure yeah i'm oh, sure absolutely yeah. really curious about that yeah, yeah so the the, uh, the the arc starts at just under sixty four thousand dollars um and that's all in all in all in so what i what, what's really important to know is that we're we have i think about something in the order of 1400 deployments across the country with as many as six chargers per unit on them so multiply that out by the number of plugs we're i think we last count we were in 33 states the the harshest environments you can possibly imagine but here's the key thing to understand while it's possible to install a, a, a charger for less than that no question about it. In all the locations where we're deployed, and this goes back to putting charging where people need it rather than where the grid is existent. In all the locations where we're deployed, without materially, there'll be some exceptions to this, but materially all of the locations where we're deployed, the price of our unit is lower than the avoided cost of construction and electrical work to deliver a circuit to the locations where our units are deployed. And that is a very important thing to understand about us. Thereafter, there's no unit of energy cost, right? Because you don't have to amortize the life that's banned the product across kilowatt hours or anything else like that. You save money day one by not digging that trench, pouring that concrete, doing the electrical upgrades and everything. And so then you would say, okay, well, that sounds like a terrible niche thing, right? How many, how many of those locations could there possibly be? And what I'm gonna to say to you is, uh, stay tuned. Uh, what's happening at the moment is all the low-hanging fruit locations are being plucked. You think about any property, you know, it's got two or three parking spaces where there's a close electrical circuit, drill a hole in a wall, run the wire through and all that sort of stuff. But then next time you want to add 10 or 15 more chargers, which you're going to without a question, mm -hmm. now it's dig the trenches, do the electrical upgrades, do all the other things. And then you start bouncing up against capacity on your property, then substation capacity, then regional capacity, then national capacity. All of those things are incredibly expensive and hard to solve for. Our prices will never get higher. They'll only, our cost structure will only get lower the more and more we of this stuff as we, we produce um, and so at the end of the day this and this comes back a little bit to Tom to what we we're talking about earlier with business models and everything else uh, I also think that business models kind of broken uh, I, I and one of the things I love about EV charting as opposed to the typical fueling that we've been doing is for the last hundred plus years we've had diverse fuel types but the same fuel transaction every time Right, you're, you're putting diesel in trucks, gasoline in motorcycles and cars, you're putting bunker oil in ships, you're kerosene in airplanes. But in every instance, unit of energy goes into a storage tank and you part with cash. Now, we're moving away from that to where you've got a single source of fuel, electrons, but I think you're going to see the most fantastically diverse uh, business models around this. Uh, if you're an Amazon Prime member, can you get free charging here? If you own an F-150, can you have charging for your life with your pickup truck or whatever? You, you're just going to see so many fantastically diverse and innovative business models moving into the future. And for us, because we have no unit cost of energy, uh, that puts us in a position where we can take advantage of those business models in a way I think that no one else can because we don't have to worry about utility bill. And so really quickly at the at the risk of going a little bit too long i understand you have a media component to the company now so is that going to be like advertising as a way of bringing another revenue stream perhaps not advertising but okay. yes using the platform as a means to monetize uh, 
the infrastructure, which does not involve this kind of terribly boring and last century business model, which is cash per unit of energy. I really think that that's, that's kind of outdated. And, and think about it. There are lots of proxies for this. When Wi-Fi first came out, it was expensive and diff difficult to connect to, and you paid for bytes and bits and all sorts of other stuff like that. Right now, it's pretty much free wherever you go. It's fast and, all, and, and more or less ubiquitous. Why? Because the businesses that offer it are monetizing that infrastructure in much more interesting ways. Okay. And so I think you're going to see charging evolving in that way in the future. And I'm looking forward to the day where we're cash per unit of energy. It'll still happen in certain places. Don't get me wrong, especially corridor type charging and things like that. I think you'll pay a premium. And so you should for the convenience and the expense of the infrastructure. But the great majority of charging, which is that 30.4 miles per day, is going to come at you in a whole host of different and much more interesting and innovative uh, business models, which is exciting and very much what America's good at, by the way. Americans are great innovators and we have fantastically efficient capital markets. We are perfectly primed to, to lead the world in this next fueling era, sort of in the way we did with oil 100 years ago, but now we're going to do it in a much better way, if you ask me. All right. Tom, anything else or Francie? I'm, I'm good. You're good? All right. So uh, Desmond, where can our, our viewers or listeners keep up to speed with Beam Global? Naturally, our website would be a good place to go, beamforall.com, B-E-A-M-F-O-R-A-L-L.com. All right. And do you have a social media presence, Facebook? All over the place, yes. And much, much younger and cleverer people than me that are figuring out all of that stuff. But you'll find us all over the, 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 uh, the, the, the social media platform, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, okay. uh, all, all, all of the above. All right. All right. So I guess that brings us to the end of our show. If you have any questions or comments, please leave them below or get in touch with us on the social media platform of your choice. Don't forget, if you like the show, uh, please give us a thumbs up, click subscribe and tap that bell icon for notifications. <laughs> Thank you all very much again for joining us and we'll see you again next time. Ciao. All the best. Thank you.